Broadcasting from the business capital of the world, this is the Podcast Business News Network. And when it comes to our legal system, many of us are unsure of how the system works, what is possible, especially when it comes to civil cases where we feel we've been wronged and what rights do we have. This is Insight to Justice. And today we're going to bring him back in here and talk with Paul Beckman, who has been a civil lawyer for many years at a firm in Baltimore. Uh, and we're looking at a couple of cases and and how these cases went down. This is a, a gentleman who has gotten significant number of multi-million dollar awards, won for many, many clients. Paul is back with us. Hey, Paul, welcome. How are you? Fine. How are you, Steve? Good afternoon. And it's great to have you back here. And I, I'd like to look at a case uh, that you were involved in that uh, I do believe recently there there was, I guess, a uh, a conviction in this case. And that was just uh, about a year and change ago, correct? Yeah, it was actually in uh, May uh, of 2022. So a little bit more than a year and a half ago. Yeah, tell us more about that case. So perhaps some of the people who are listening may have heard about it or read about it. It was a very, very tragic case involving a young woman who was a co-ed at the University of Virginia uh, and who was on the University of Virginia women's lacrosse team. Her name was Yardley Love, just a wonderful, lovely, beautiful person inside and out. And she uh, was at University of Virginia on a scholarship, and as would be the case, uh, there was a lot of interaction with the boys' lacrosse team at the University of Virginia, both of them very competitive, probably top five lacrosse teams uh, in the country. And she uh, began dated, dating a member of the men's lacrosse team, boys' lacrosse team. His name was George Ugly, happened to be a very good lacrosse player, but unfortunately had a very bad habit of drinking too much, uh, and he was somebody who could not control himself when he did so. They dated um, after her sophomore year and into her senior year, and then she broke it off. Both of them lived on campus, and as it turned out, George Ugly got highly intoxicated uh, one night uh, and came to her dorm where she was living, not a block away from where he was, knocked on the door. It was locked. She told him to leave, to get away. She didn't want anything to do with him. And he broke the door down. He went into her room, and he ended up killing. Uh, as tragic an event that could ever happen to anybody or any family. He was tried criminally and convicted of second-degree murder. He never testified in that case, and he was sentenced to 23 years in prison, and he is still in prison. But that was only part of the case. After he was convicted, he tried to set aside his criminal conviction on the basis that he was unjustly convicted, and he fi filed what are called writs of habeas corpus, both in state court and in federal court, uh, which lasted uh, years and years and years until finally the last one was denied in the summer of 
2021. Uh, I was asked to represent the family in a civil action resulting from Yardley's death because when something like this happens, when an assault and a battery like this happens, an assault is putting somebody in fear of their life civilly, a battery is impermissible touching uh, or hurting somebody. That gives rise to a claim for civil damages, which we filed against him. But we couldn't try it until he was able to be deposed, his deposition. Because in a case like this, you want to be able to take the deposition under oath of the person. So, lo and behold, after the last writ of habeas corpus was denied, I filed a writ of habeas corpus to have him brought to the Charlottesville courthouse. He was in prison in Virginia, and he appeared there, uh, and I took his deposition uh, by videotape, so it was videos uh, for several hours, and then the case was set for trial in May, uh, and it was tried for over a week, and he actually came one day and we subpoenaed him to come in and testify. The jury in that case was made up of people from Charlottesville, uh, where the University of Virginia is. And the jury uh, heard all of the evidence. The court submitted the issue to the jury. The two people who were beneficiaries here were Yardley's mother, Jaren, and her sister, Lexi. She and Lexi were two years apart, they were like twins. They were as close as could be. Um, both of them testified. Uh, it was very, very difficult, very hard for them to do so. George Ugly testified as well, uh, and I cross-examined him. And we had experts testify about the nature of the injury and what had happened. So the jury went out. They went out for two hours, and then they came back with a verdict. They awarded a total verdict of $15 million, $7,500,000 to Sharon, her mother, and $7,500,000 to Lexi, her sister. So here it was, a verdict of $15 million. No insurance, but a verdict that could not be set aside for, for example, bankruptcy, which happens in a lot of civil cases where a judgment is obtained and the person who is found to be responsible civilly uh, attempts to file bankruptcy and not be liable for the judgment. Here, because of the nature of what had happened, a special issue was submitted to the jury as to whether or not this was an intentional act, which the jury found that it was, and it was done with malice and intent to harm. Uh, and the jury answered that question, yes. And as a result of that, this $15 million verdict uh, will bear interest. And by the time that George gets out of jail, the $15 million verdict will be $25 million, and it will not be dischargeable. So one would say, well, you know, why did you do this? Uh, knowing that perhaps you weren't even going to be able to collect anything for the family. And my belief is that there are just certain times where you have to do the right thing. And doing the right thing here was, ha was having him held accountable civilly 
for one of the most outrageous acts that anybody could ever do, and that is to kill somebody in the highlight of her life. Mm. Uh, so the family, um, as difficult as this was, went through this trial, um, and uh, I can't say it was joyous in any way, but what they wanted was justice, and that they got. What do you think, Paul, was the turning point in this case that enabled the jury to render the verdict that they did? Well, they had the opportunity to see George Ubley on the stand, and um, even though at one point in the trial, and I'll just mention this, uh, he turned around and said to Sharon Love, the mother who was sitting literally in the first row, I'm so sorry for this happen. I apologize to you, and I apologize to Yardley. And I said to him, because he was speaking out of turn, but she's not here, George. You killed her. Mm. Uh, and it was just typical of the fact that, yes, he expressed remorse, but there's a big question about whether or not what he said uh, really had any thought behind it that he was doing it other than to save his getting hit with a big judge. And, you know, there are just some times in life, and I think we've all experienced them in various and different ways, where you have to do the right thing. And I've always been guided by that in the practice of law, and I have no regrets about doing it. And perhaps someday having a recovery for this fine family. Why the crime took place 2010, uh, 12 years went by before he went to trial. Why is that? So, first of all, he appealed his conviction, uh, and that's in the Virginia court. He appealed it to the Intermediate Court of Appeals, was denied. He appealed it to the Supreme Court of Virginia, uh, it was denied. He asked for review by the Supreme Court of the United States, it was denied. And then after all that, went by, which was a number of years, he then started and filed six different writs of habeas corpus to set aside his conviction. That's a separate action in the state courts in Virginia, denied in the trial court, denied in the appellate court, denied in the Supreme Court, and then he went to federal court in Virginia. He went to the Eastern District of Virginia denied, and the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Fourth Circuit in Virginia, and denied. And that was it. Once that happened, uh, he was fair game. So hmm. he prolonged it, but we didn't let it go. And we stayed with it to the end. So the award was $15 million. Does he or his family have the ability to pay that? And, and if not, what happens now? So that is something that is ongoing. Um, uh, because he is incarcerated, uh, he does not have any money. Um, the family um, is a family that um, would like to try to resolve it, but for various reasons which I just can't discuss at this point, um, it just can't be done. So the only remedy right now that exists is waiting for him to finish his sentence. He's been in jail 
for 12 years. Actually, he's been in jail now for almost 14 years, and he has nine years to go, and this will not leave him. It's still a valid judgment. Judgment can be renewed and will be, and there will come a time when he will have this judgment with interest at approximately 25, and it will be sitting over his head as to what, if anything, he can do. And he'll know what it's like to have done what he did. I, I, I'm going to ask this question because I feel a lot of people will be wondering about it. But in these situations where the individual who's convicted doesn't have the financial resources, what, what remains? Uh, you know, in principle, okay, we have, a, we have a verdict, we have a number, um, demonstrates the legal system, demonstrates that the, according to the jury, the individual was guilty of the crime. Um, but financially, you know, in terms of restitution, what, what remains here? Is it, is it reasonable to think that that family may not see much of anything? It's altogether possible that that might happen. And that's why it gets back to what I said earlier. The practice of law is not just about money for lawyers. The practice of law is to do the right thing and to do justice. And in this case, this family was entitled to it. Um, And, you know, there are a lot of people who do pro bono work, that is, work for free. And from my perspective, and I've always done pro bono work since I've been a lawyer, um, it can be some of the most rewarding work that you do when you help people who either may not have the ability to to get into the court system or people who are entitled to justice and you've got to take the case to trial. This was one of those cases. Well, it's great that we talked about this and demonstrating, you know, our legal system and justice was had here. Uh, And also thank you for telling us that he was incarcerated. I wasn't really sure that entire time. I was curious uh, what, what was actually transpiring if, uh, he was free until that. So he's he was serving time all along. Yep, and he is still in jail, and he's got about nine years to go. Wow. And I'm glad we talked about this case because it's, it's a recent one. It, as recent as just last year uh, and, and a few months. Uh, wow. So at this point, the, the lawsuit was seeking, was it $30 million in uh, yes. damages? Yes, it was. And, uh, you know, as far as we're concerned, that's what was asked for. The jury felt that it was fair to award $7.5 million to the mother and to the sister. Uh, it was a fair award under the circumstance. Gotcha. And I, you, know, you illustrate some great points here um, of what's important in the legal system. In this case, we don't know if that family will receive any awards, you know, awarded damages. However, the number of 15 million, which essentially is half of what the lawsuit was seeking, speaks the volumes of, of what went on here and, and, and the gravity of the, the entire situation. And, uh, you know, I detect from you, that's, that's kind of what our legal system is about. Yeah, hopefully it is. And it, it remains so, so that the courthouse is open to everyone no matter what the nature of the matter is. That's what makes this country great. So uh, just 
Closing thoughts on this particular case, 10 years plus, 12 years in the making. What was going on in your mind during that time? And when did the family reach out to you to, to work on this case? Well, the family reached out uh, to me um, very early in the game. Um, they had had local lawyers in Virginia, um, and they wanted somebody here, and they had been recommended to me, and I got involved in it very early on, uh, within a couple of years after it happened. Um, and I followed the criminal case, and then um, uh, we had to file the claim within a very short period of time, and we filed it, and we wanted to make sure that we preserved it until there was an opportunity to try it and to get him to testify. Uh, a tremendous amount of work was done in terms of investigation and what was said and what was done, um, and experts of, on both sides of the case. Uh, but it was well worth the time, it was well worth the effort as far as I'm concerned, because there are just certain times, Stephen, where something occurs that you have to do the right thing. And if you're going to get justice, it may very well be that you're going to have to go to trial. And that's what we did. We were prepared to do it. We did it. I think it was the largest verdict in the history of Charlottesville. Wow. But that being said, we'll wait to see whether or not there will come a point in time where it'll be collected. And hopefully we'll be able to do that. You've made it your life's work doing civil work uh, in the legal system. What, what do you want people to, to know when it comes to that type of work, when, when it comes to what their, their overall rights are, uh, what they should be thinking when, let's say, they, they've been done wrong uh, in, a, in a civil situation? Well, I guess one of the first things they should do is to um, find the appropriate lawyer, counsel, who would handle whatever case they have and has experience in doing it uh, and is somebody who, as I say, you know, is not afraid to go to trial. Because, and I've mentioned this before, if lawyers in the civil cases prepare their cases for settlement, they're virtually guaranteed to go to trial. But if you prepare your case for trial, from the beginning, you're going to enhance, enhance your chances of resolving the case without a trial. But in today's world, um, there aren't a tremendous number of lawyers who regularly go to trial and who, I will tell you, are prepared to go to trial and, third, are not afraid to go to trial. Uh, and you've got to be in a position where... Uh, if you're represented by somebody, uh, that you have the opportunity to do it if the circumstances are such that it should be heard in court. Um, I have started out very early in my career you know, trying cases. I hadn't been a lawyer for a month when I was given the opportunity to try two civil cases. They were both automobile accident cases that were given to me by the firm. They said, here, these, take these two losers, go in and try them, uh, get the experience. We want you to do it by yourself. They're jury trials. 
and we know they're not going to be one, but you'll get great experience. So I took them, I prepared them, I tried them myself, and I won both of them. So once that happened, I was hooked, Stephen, <laughs> and, I've, wow. I've, I've, and I've been doing it ever since. Uh, love that. Thanks for sharing that. Um, do you find that do you find that many are afraid to to try a case? You know, let's say they've they've gone through something. Um, their gut tells them, you know, this wasn't right. This was not not the way it should have happened. But they they have a fear of what the outcome might be. Do you find that uh, is is often something that uh, you're confronted with? Um, you're talking about clients as opposed to lawyers being afraid to try a case? Exactly, yeah. Yeah, and there are circumstances like that. And when I find that, and that does arise, you know, from time to time, uh, what I try to do is to give the clients, you know, the opportunity to understand what can be done um, and what the risks are. And there are some times when I, where I will recommend settlement. On there are other times when I would say to them, look, I believe you have a very good case. Uh, I think this is a case that can be won. There are no guarantees, you know, that we're going to win. But based on my experience and knowledge of your case, I would recommend that you go ahead. And in virtually every case, uh, if I'm handling it the right way, which I hope I do, the client will go along with, with my recommendation. Sometimes not. Sometimes they will say, look, I just want to get this over. Uh, I don't want to go to, into a trial. And, you know, it's the client's case. We don't force them to do something they don't want to do. Is there, and a final question here, is there a potential risk for somebody to, to seek legal uh, justification uh, is, is, that, is there always a potential for a risk to be there? You're absolutely correct. I think in every single case, there's a risk. Uh, if you don't try it right, if you don't, you know, have the right approach to the case, uh, you know, in some states, you know, where it's a civil case, uh, like I think we may have talked about before in Maryland, uh, where Maryland has a rule called contributory negligence, where if you're 1% at fault, you lose. And there are four states in the United States that have that, Maryland, Virginia, North Carolina, and Alabama, and also the District of Columbia in certain circumstances. So, yes, there can, be a, there can always be a risk. And those are things that you have to deal with from the beginning and try to eliminate uh, so that, you know, a jury who is understanding the case understands what the real cause of the incident was. So, yes, risk in every case. Well, I, I guess there's almost a risk in pretty much everything, and our goal here is to minimize that risk by seeking the right legal representation um, and and taking all those steps involved, which is something your firm definitely does. How do we find you, uh, Paul? If somebody's got questions, if they want to pick your brain on something, how do they do that? Oh, sure. Anytime. You know, we're, uh, we don't advertise. Um, we try to use our reputation as trial lawyers to um, handle cases. The name of the firm is Beckman, it's B-E-K-M-A-N-O-C, Beckman, Martyr, Hopper, Malarkey, and Perlin, LLC. All of those name partners have tr- 
tried cases, all of those partners have had multi-million dollar verdicts. Um, we're very well known in, certainly in Maryland and outside of Maryland because we do work there. We have our website www.beckmanmartyrhopper.malarkeyandperlinllc um, and our phone number is there, our emails are there. Anybody has any questions, don't hesitate to reach out. Truly appreciate how you're very clear, detailed, uh, and get to the point where sometimes you it's it's hard in this day and age <laughs> to, to do that, but you make it very under, very understandable. And sometimes legal, you know, for the for the rest of us, sometimes that's a little bit above our head. So I appreciate that. Uh, I appreciate you. Thank you so much for being here today with Insight to Justice. Thank you, Steve. Thank you. We'll be right back. Broadcasting from the business capital of the world, this is the Podcast Business News Network. Hey, Dad, how do airplanes fly? What's in this box? Can I touch this? Where does sand come from? Is this tree good for climbing? What happens if I mix these two things together? How are babies made? What does this thing do? Kids are curious about everything, including guns. Talking to them about gun safety in your home is a good first step, but you can do more. Always keep your guns locked, unloaded, and stored separately from ammunition. Storing your guns securely is the best way to prevent family fire, including unintentional shootings. For more information on safe gun storage and ways to keep your family safe, visit endfamilyfire.org. That's endfamilyfire.org. What do we keep in the attic? What's this thing called? Can I ride my bike backwards? Like I said, kids are curious. It's up to us to keep them safe. Brought to you by End Family Fire, Brady, and the Ad Council.